Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of UnkView. Uh, first of all, we want to apologize for being away for a bit. Uh, as you may know, I was involved in a fairly serious motorcycle accident. That's all I'm going to say about that here and now. We're going to do a show about that at some point in the near future, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. As always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, climb, and other things that rhyme with those words, Mr. B. Michael Lemon, coming at us from Chicago, Illinois. Brendan, are you there? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, I'm here. Awesome, man. Awesome. You know, I'm really excited about today's show. We, uh, as you know, if you listen to our podcast, we try to do as little preparation as, and planning as possible just to have maximum excuses for delivering a substandard and non-entertaining product, which we're proud to deliver <laughs> each and every week. But today we're super excited to underperform for you. And today's topic <laughs> is social media dead or is social media dead? And I want to I just want to preface this with a couple of quick comments. The first is that this discussion is not intended to be a debate or an intellectual exercise regarding whether social media truly is or is not dead. Uh, we will quote a few things up front to sort of lend some credence to the idea that it might be dead or at least it, it, it appears to be dying. Yeah. But really, this is as much about our personal feelings and perceptions uh, as it is about anything else. And we just want to make you think a little bit about these topics. So before we get into our, our real discussion about this, um, Brendan and I want to just share a couple of thoughts regarding why there may be some legitimacy to the thought that social media truly is dead or, again, at least dying. So we'll go back and forth a little bit on this. The first is, uh, you know, uh, Brendan, one of the things when, when we talked about doing this show, which was literally about a half an hour ago, the first thought I had was, you know, under this larger topic of social media is dead, uh, is that Twitter, which was really mm -hmm. what got me into social media in the first place. And we're going to talk a little bit after we share our thoughts with you as to why social media may be dead. We're going to share our sort of personal histories uh, relating to social media and our experiences in social media to give some more, you know, background and context and substance to this. But for me, Twitter was everything. It's what I got into first. It was what... Well, you had an entire... You almost built a whole career on Twitter, basically. Yeah, and we're gonna we'll talk about that when we get there. But yeah, I did, and in fact, I I ended up going on a national speaking tour. I've co-authored a couple of books. I've actually created a product um, to help people in my industry leverage Twitter. So yeah, I mean, I was totally into it. And mm -hmm. it, and in fact, interestingly, in my first year of using Twitter, um, I averaged something like forty three tweets per day. 43, only 43 actually is surprising for me to hear. Well, 43 is ridiculous. And I don't, I'm not sure I've tweeted 43 times in the past two years, just to put oh that in some perspective. So, yeah. So my point there uh, is that, you know, Twitter is the, Twitter is dying is something that I've heard many times in the past year. And that was sort of exacerbated because during this, this horrific political cycle that we just endured and actually we're still in the middle of it. Um, there was all these accusations, and I think they were proven to be true, that, um, you know, the, the, the Twitter was actually editing things uh, against Trump in a, in a fashion that would harm Trump, etc. And that just sort of threw more gas on the fire that Twitter is sort of a dying thing. Um, yep. You know, traffic's down. And um, what, what, what occurs to you? What, I mean, what, what well, can you, you point know, to? Well, let me... 
Yeah, I was going to say, let me jump on that for a second, because one of the, and as everybody who's listening to the show understands, I'm not a, I don't really, I, I don't tow the conservative line, really. I consider myself more of a liberal, but it kind of bothered me that Twitter was actually actively getting rid of a lot of conservative pundits, um, guys who, people who would identify as, or some people would identify as alt-right um, these are guys like Milo Yiannopoulos, who I actually yep. don't really think is an alt-right person. He's just more of a, he's kind of a, tr- to be honest, he's kind of just a, he's kind of a troll. He considers himself a provocateur. But the reason he says stuff is to get a rise out of people in it. And, the, and maybe this is doing him too much justice, but he does it in a similar fashion to the way that like potentially Nietzsche used to do it, where he would write articles that were inflammatory on purpose. So it exposed the potential racism or sexism or idiotic thinking in the other side. Like that was, that's kind of his idea. Anyway, this is Milo Yiannopoulos's. And I think it's very interesting because they got rid of him. And I, and what they keep trying to say every time Twitter talks about this, um, and, and this occurred just recently around these, this whole Leslie Jones thing, like Leslie Jones from SNL was on Ghostbusters, which is a movie that I didn't, or the new Ghostbusters, directed by Paul Feig. I didn't see this movie. I'm sure you didn't see the movie. No. It was uh, an all-female cast. Um, and actually, when they announced the movie, I thought it sounded awesome, because I like all of the women who are in it. But, like, the movie was bad. It sounds like I'm getting off track, but I'm not. I promise I'll bring it back. The movie was bad. Um, people didn't like it. They thought it was kind of a total abandonment of all the things that were beloved in the original. So, people started posting about this and then sony pictures kind of started responding to these people and then they started accusing sony pictures of you know trying to do a cash grab sony pictures accused them of being racists against leslie jones and misogynists against an all-female cast and then twitter started deleting all of these posts that these guys were making um both men and women about this movie because Sony basically said, yeah, no, they're a bunch of racists and misogynists, which totally cuts down on the entire purpose of this platform. Like, they're trying to, they, they've been deleting all of these, you know, tweets and accounts in the name of trying to make Twitter safe. Like, we want to make it a safer space for women and all this kind of thing. And I don't think that anybody, I don't think that anybody wants to encourage an, an environment that's unsafe for women. But the idea is, like, you're supposed to be able to talk about whatever you want and you're supposed to be able to engage with people however you want if you make a shitty movie you're supposed to be able to talk about it being a shitty movie you know and that it's amazing to me that they totally got away from that because it seems like that's the entire point of the platform well it's the entire point of free speech but let's not go there just yet so and and i agree with everything you just said there and thanks for sharing that because some of that stuff i did not know but so the first thought is that Twitter is dying, and what Brennan just shared with this will be some indication as to why that may be the case. And, but even before that, there were all these rumors circulating. And I can just tell you anecdotally that I used, to, like I said, it used to be the epicenter of my social media life. And then over the course of a few years, I drifted away from that and toward Facebook. And it's just sort of, for me personally, it's just, it is literally dead. And the next example I would give would be um, Yahoo acquired Tumblr back in 2013 for $1.1 billion, and they've proceeded to, over the course of the last couple of years, write off the vast majority of that investment, which would seem to suggest that Tumblr didn't have value that Yahoo thought it did. Um, another example I would give would be there's something called Clout, K-L-O-U-T, mm-hmm. 
And oh yeah, um, in fact, that I uh, in one of the books that I co-authored, there's an entire chapter devoted to clout, and uh, I did a podcast on this that was popular at the time, and now it seems to. In fact, it was interesting because I I looked, I tried to do a little research here before we got on the air. And um, I thought I'd heard that clout was was terminated, but it appears to still be alive. But the fact that I wasn't even sure of that makes my point, which is that, you know, it, it was once on everyone's tongue. And now it's like it's just almost unheard of. Another one just like that in some respects is Foursquare. You remember when Foursquare? Maybe- oh, yeah. Foursquare was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Foursquare uh, were, was were, a big deal. Were you into that? Oh, I was super into it because, like, as you know, my dad calls me the mayor of Plymouth. And also then after I lived in Manistee, he called me the mayor of Manistee. Like, right. I, I'm a real townie. Like, I just am a social guy and I like going to places and I like meeting the owners of all the businesses and just kind of talking to people. So I used to check in, especially when I lived in Boulder, Colorado. That was the height of my uh, Foursquare involvement as I lived in Boulder and every place I went, I always checked in on Foursquare and I would get into these battles with people for becoming the mayor of, you know, uh, Moe's Broadway Bagel or <laughs> like <laughs> the Sundowner Saloon. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to be the mayor. And the idea was kind of neat originally, which was that, you know, you by your involvement in these places, you know, if you checked in, you actually then got, um, you would get noticed by them because you were there all the time and right. you got some kind of, it's almost like the way that Yelp does it now currently with people who do a lot of rev- reviews. Mm-hmm. Like, so it was kind of a neat idea and in, they did have, some of these places did have promotions for people who ended up being the mayor. As long as you were the mayor, you got like a dollar off of your coffee or something like that. And it was kind of like, I got bragging rights, you know, a little bit, but I totally fell off because I w- ended up becoming the mayor of like every place I went because like people weren't using it. <laughs> so I was just like, there's no point to this. Cause I'm just, I'm just winning this game all the time. So what? it really dropped its, uh, it, it really dropped its level of engagement. Uh, totally. And in fact, I've, uh, again, some quick research I did right before we came on the air, I found something that said that Foursquare is now staying afloat financially by licensing its location technology, as opposed to focusing on its core purpose and mission from the onset. I never, I actually never formed an account there because I never really fully grasped the value of it. But, you know, the bottom line is that it's clearly on its way out. And then uh, another example I would give would be Vine. Were you ever into Vine? Uh, No, but I, 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 you know, a lot of people were, including our buddy Shaq. Oh, yeah. Well, so for those of you who don't know about Vine, because that was one that was a little bit under the radar, I think, for many people, it was uh, a six-second video concept. All you could do was make a video that lasted six seconds. And I was into it briefly. And in fact, one of the highlights of my social media experience ever was, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. Um, uh, I, I don't recall how it happened, but I was chatting with him somewhere, somehow online, and he made a Vine for me. And I recall it, it's, it was him. Shut up, ba- really? Yeah, it was him in the back of a taxi in New York City. And he, and he just said, hey, professional one, just wanted to give you a shout out like you, you know, like you asked me to a second ago. And that was it. Just him in the back of some cab. But it was at the in that moment, it felt really cool because, you know, to me, like Gary is one of the true pioneers and, you know, titans of online media, social media, etc. Uh, but and then he was a huge proponent of Vine. And in fact, I think he was an investor in it. 
ended up being um, purchased by Twitter. And uh, the bottom line of that whole sub story is that it was closed in October. Uh, it's still. Oh man, it actually did close. I was surprised at that. Well, let me let me qualify that. It, it it was shut down, but it's still there. You just can't post any new content. So basically, whatever's there is there, but effectively, it's dead. And it, in what I read, implied that it was going to be phased out. Uh, a fairly um, pe- people speculate it's going to be phased out fairly quickly. And then um, and then I just want to quote one uh, one source I found that seemed to be somewhat credible and kind of conveyed all of what we want to say here in a fairly concise fashion. So bear with me while I read this. Um, and I'll put a link in our, our blog post so people can, to, in fact, of many of the things we've referenced here. But this in particular, this is quick, so yeah. I'll, go, I'll go fast. London-based uh, data collection company SimilarWeb studied the habits of Android users across the world to monitor the changing popularity of social media apps. The study looked at data from nine countries, comparing app data from the first three months of the year compared to the same time last year. Across the board, people are spending less time on their social media apps. In almost all countries, time spent on the four leading social media apps, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter, had fallen. Most countries spent less time on Facebook compared to last year with the exception of Germany, blah, blah, blah. In almost all countries, time spent on the four leading huh. social media apps, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, and Snapchat, and Twitter uh, fell. And uh, I can kind of stop there because that's really the gist of it. So, you know, that really supports what I was feeling in my gut. And then uh, let me give two more quick examples. Snapchat, which is the latest, you know, um, hot chick in the bar, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> it's it's interesting because I found this. Th- this is a quote from Snapchat itself. This is on Mashable, and it's yeah. it's talking about the 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 projected growth of Snapchat. And this is current. This is within the last couple of months. So I'm yep. just going to read this out of context, but you'll get the gist of it. But those numbers are set to change dramatically, according to the company's research. The firm predicts that the company will see a 27.2% increase in user growth in 2016 and another 13.6% increase in 2017. The report notes that growth will likely stabilize by 2018 with only single-digit increases. So it's interesting to me that, you know, typically these companies like Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram, they're wildly optimistic about their futures. And they, yeah, they and, tend- sn- and Snapchat is like, being yeah. honest about it. Well, uh, maybe, or or maybe this is that they're exaggerating too. But this is the best they could exaggerate. And 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 then the final example I'll give, and I think it might be the mo- the most compelling of all. Yeah. Do you even know what Google Plus is? Oh yeah, I know what it is. Okay, so I believe that. Well, it's interesting because I actually interviewed the man who ran it. And made, oh, a, wow, really? and made a video uh, of it. In fact, I'm going to link it in the post. But this is how far that platform has fallen. As I was preparing my quick notes here, I couldn't remember the name of the platform. I literally had to Google myself back when I was blogging for this uh, real estate news portal called Inman News. I Googled myself, and I just, I just put in myself and the name of the platform and Google. And I found my blog post that I wrote, which included the video that I made of this guy, but I didn't even remember the name of it. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And and when it first came out, you know, they they made all these bold predictions about how they were going to overtake Facebook and all this stuff and now it's just dead in the water. So, oh man. So all of this that This is so I think this is this is the end of that curve. This is the we've hit it and people are going to start dropping off. And it, and especially it has to do I think with a lot of the vitriol that was just released over this last political cycle. I think a lot of these people, I mean in in the anecdotal bit of research that I've done just leading up to this podcast, especially talking with people who I know who either have dropped off of social media or who have said they've considered dropping off of social media. A lot of it is due to exactly these kinds of reasons. They're like, look, I just don't want to... All of this is very annoying. And I just don't want to constantly be bothered. I check it too much. I think it's really unhealthy of me. And I just kind of want to be done with it a little bit. And I, I don't blame them because it's just constant. I mean, I think that's kind of the problem with what it's ended up becoming is that it's just this con- it's just all fucking political videos and annoying comments and rants that people who you disagree with or even maybe agree with post. And you're like, God, I just I'm tired of this. You know, it's um. Well, it's like a 24-hour it's like a 24-hour news network except it's just filled with bullshit. Yeah, I agree with that and and but I I also think that that's a little bit of a narrow view. I think there's a lot more at, that's going on the to contribute to what we're feeling at the moment and and I think we should go through and you know address those things that's really what we're here to talk about. And before we do that, I just wanted to give a little more context to to us because again, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, of course, most of you have no idea who we really are, and um, and 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 I don't want to mention these things for purposes of uh, self promotion. It's more just to give some credence to the fact that our perspectives might, and I want to emphasize the word might, have value. You'll ultimately be the judge of that. But as I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, I joined Twitter in 2009, and I was really a, a hater of the concept from the start. I thought it was dumb, but I. I, I dipped my toe in the water and quickly became obsessed with it. As I already mentioned, in the first year of my usage, I was tweeting like 43 times per day, which is ridiculous. But I did rack up uh, 55,000 followers, which I still have, miraculously, because I don't even use the platform anymore. Um, but that, that opened a lot of doors for me in my career, and I ended up being able to go on national speaking tour about social media. I co-authored a couple of books. I started a Facebook group about five years ago that now has, it's about to cross the 20,000 member mark. And uh, as I mentioned, I got to do things like interview the guy that started a Google Plus. So this was my life. Really, social media was my life for at least five years. So for yeah. me, for, for me to be sitting here, you know, in a podcast in which the title of it is Social Media is Dead, is really... Uh, kind of jarring for me. It's it's so, somewhat shocking that that I'm here participating in this conversation because I was so deep into the thing for so long. And I, and I don't mean to suggest that, you know, that I'm done with it. I'm not. This podcast arguably is part of the social media world. But there's no doubt in my mind, and again, Brendan, I don't really know what you think. That's part of what we're here to talk about, is, you know, what you think about it. And Let's go through the reasons why, you know, if it isn't dead, it might be dying. You already mentioned, I think, one of the things probably most people would start with, which is this, this incredible, you know, angst and vitriol and combativeness that really 
uh, typified this political cycle. But, you know, I think that's obvious. Um, but let's talk about the other stuff because there's, I think there's more here to unpack, don't you? Because I think it was dying yeah. before the political cycle. Well, I agree. I think that what it's, well, let's, yeah. So this is, it's almost like, um, I guess I don't know where to start because I feel like there, if any, if so for the people listening to this, I'm sure you can think, first of all, you're all on social media. Um, if you're not, that's almost unbelievable, but I think that that's sort of part of it, which is that everybody is on it all the time. Uh, everybody checks it all the time. And what is strange about it is that it, it totally permeates our lives. And I, don't, I can't think of a single person, and this is even before the election, I can't think of a single person who really actually enjoys it. Like, I don't know of anybody who, who really relishes their time on social media. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know of anybody who, who uh, logs into Facebook, who can't wait to log into Facebook or who can't uh, wait to go check it out. Everybody, at least certainly of my age, who kind of, they all kind of begrudgingly accept that this is a function of life and they would rather have actual time with real people in front of them. Uh, and, and managing their Facebook pers- their presence has become kind of a half chore. Like, let me put it this way. It's not that, uh, I think that's actually the most accurate way to describe the feeling of this even before this election cycle began, which is in the last couple of years, particularly in the last year to year and a half, it's social media and social media presence has really begun to take on this kind of, okay, this is this is a, just another thing I almost have to kind of update in my life. Like for some people, it's a, it's a place to dump their photos. For some people... It's a place to keep in touch with friends of theirs who are out of the country, which is primarily what I use it for. It's to sometimes promote different activities or things they have going on, like if they're in a band or they're a comedian, which is something else I have. But all of those things together also require them to put in effort to try to maintain some sort of presence or relevance on it. And that part is really annoying to a lot of people. Does that make sense? Like, I don't have any data wrapped around that, but I can, I'm just speaking for myself and what I hear other people say about this, but it's like, I, I don't want to, it's like getting, um, you know, it's like another room in my house I have to take care of. Do you, does it, does that, do you feel that at all? Uh, I do, but I also want to just sort of make sort of a preliminary comment that I, there've been many times I've seen people post things, particularly on Facebook that are, that read something like this. Uh, I don't know about you, but my experience on Facebook is really declining. My feed is full of nothing but bullshit. And I almost always, <laughs> yep. I almost always comment on uh, uh, any post that's like that. And what I, I typically write is, you do understand that your Facebook feed is nothing more than a collection of decisions that you've made regarding who's in your, who's in your world. Who did you connect with? Now, I understand that's a, that's a bit of an exaggeration and an oversimplification because, you know, sometimes you'll see things in your feed that are from people that you aren't friends with. I understand that. But. For the most part, the people that I see in my feed are people that I've, you know, I've chosen to have in my life online. So my first thought is, if you don't like what's in your feed, change it. Get rid of people. I mean, you know, one thing that's interesting, this was not my intention to talk about this on this podcast, but it's just coming to me organically, is one Mm -hmm. of the best decisions that I've made in, in the totality of my Facebook experience. And this is something that I just did fairly recently is that I started becoming fairly aggressive regarding blocking people, 
specifically on Facebook. There were just a yeah. handful of people who were just really making my life miserable with the things they were posting, primarily because I just came to realize how radically different they were from me. And I'm not saying that everybody that I want everybody to be like me. Of course not. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes yeah. if I say, for instance, hey, I think we should all rape babies. At some point, I know that's a ridiculous what, what you do. Yeah, you, you do say that a lot though. <laughs> actually, I don't at all. But but if you get my point, which is that if if somebody were actually saying that in a feed, at some point you'd turn that off and be like, this yeah, is yeah. just gross. I mean, this is just yep. it's so radically opposed to what I believe in, what I stand for, what I want in this world, that I'm just gonna turn that fucking station off. And so I've done I've done that. Fairly aggressively. Now, when I, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about hundreds of people. I'm talking about a handful of people. But that's all it took to really improve my experience. So I just want to mention that in passing. Back to your point specifically. Um, yeah, I guess I sort of get what you're saying, that it becomes a bit of a chore. But, you know, that's just the nature of maintaining relationships with other people. It takes some effort. It takes some work. And whether you were doing that in a Facebook context, or you were doing that in some other context, like either you know sending emails to people or making phone calls to people, there's always going to be a certain amount of what I'll call, I think what you're referring to really is like kind of drudgery. There's a drudgery factor there of, ah, shit, yeah. I, you know, I got to I gotta return that email. I got to return that yeah. call. You know, that's just yep. the nature of maintaining human relationships. I think it feels like more of a chore potentially within the context of a Facebook because there's just more people. You know, like we just tend to like, we make all these connections with people that we don't really know. And then we sort of develop what feels like a friendship or a relationship with them, even though we've never met them. And oftentimes those are real. I mean, there've been plenty of people, yep. you know, th this is the upside of social media is all these people I've connected with online that I went on to meet in real life. And I, I love them. I mean, they're great people. In fact, I was just, yeah. I was just last night, I was chatting with uh, Sean Carpenter, who you know, Brendan, because he went on the Final yep. Four trip with us. I mean, Sean is a perfect example of the ultimate positive aspects of social media. Of social media. Yeah, yeah I agree. You know, just a He's great such a good guy. And you know what? I just did this week, too. I've been friends with a guy named Adam James, who's uh, actually famous in a very, very niche community of extreme sports people. So you guys might even know that, um, know his name. Uh, if you are into speed flying, which is actually the sport that he is sort of famous in. But I've known him for years. Uh, he is actually, this is how crazy my social network is. He's actually the grandson of this woman I'm friends with through the St. Andrews Society of Detroit. But uh, I've known him for probably three and a half years. I've never met him in person. And he just came through Chicago and we grabbed a beer. And same thing. I mean, that guy's famous on social media too. And I was going to talk a little bit about another reason I think it's dying in a second or why I think it could die uh, if, if it's not, a, if, if uh, some, some of the things he brought up aren't addressed on it. But I mean, there are positive aspects to it, but I just want to be clear about something I was saying earlier, which is like the, what I think what I, what, what I was saying that was coming across as a little bit of like, yeah, it requires some maintenance. Like it requires some, like a chore. I have to go, you know, drudgery or something. And there is that aspect, but what I think also is it's more like an extra room in your house in which you could maybe one day accidentally fall through the floor and, and kill your social life with. 
Like, you know, there's a number of people who I'm friends with, um, and you've seen this happen because I've almost done this to myself a number of times where you'll post something kind of, or I'll post something sort of innocuously, or I'll think like, well, this can't possibly be that, um, you know, inflammatory or that controversial. And people will just blow up at it. And as a comedian, especially when I'm just, if I post like a joke that I think of, but it's just kind of offhand, and then somebody sees it and then has some serious reaction to it, or they share it and they share it as, hey, this is bullshit that this guy said this. And then suddenly there's a huge um, backlash to it that you, you know, never intended from a meaning that you never intended or thought about. It's like that kind of stuff can happen as well. And it's very, I think, frightening. Um, yeah, I that, agree. I agree. But, but, but I just want to say, I don't think that's the fault of social media. That's the fault of human beings. That's this whole social justice fucking bullshit that I, nothing gets me madder than this, you know, than this, what I, I think of as this false or hyper, 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 hypersensitive social justice warriorism um, that is destroying our culture. And I don't want to get off on that rant, but I'm, the only point I want to make is that I don't blame the platform for that. I blame the people. Well, I mean, the platformer and the experience you have on it is a result of the people who are involved. Like, right. you know how you, you, well, that's you what just, I just said, said, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you, you just said that you, you sort of defriended a handful of people. Yeah. Um, I would just defriend those people. improve your experience. Yeah. It's the same kind of, I mean, that's the same kind of thing. Like there are those people on it who are attempting to, to sort of ruin the experience of others, um, whether purposefully or sort of, yeah. you know, just because of who they are. But I mean, like, that's, I guess that's like one aspect to it that I wanted to mention. But this thing that I, I want to move to what my friend Adam said, because it's, um, it's really fascinating. It's very relevant to what we're talking about, which is he, so he, he's actually has literally like tens of thousands of, if not a hundred thousand or more people who follow him on, um, on Instagram, actually, because of his, he goes to a lot of exotic locations. He posts a lot of really amazing and interesting videos of him essentially jumping off. He's kind of like a base jumper, but uh, which is what the sport of speed flying is. He's like base jumping, but he has a, a sort of a powered um, flight, if you will. It's like using a parachute, but he's like actually flying around. He's done this in a lot of different places, everywhere from Boulder, Colorado, which is kind of how I met him, all the way to Meteoria, Greece, to South America, to Spain, to Italy, to just all over the world. And he has all these photos of him and all these locations, but he was sort of describing to me what he had done and how he had done that. And a lot of it was leveraging technologies that are trying to get him in contact with other people simply to get his stuff in front of them. So these are, you know, things that I'm sure you're aware of, but probably our average listener isn't, and I wasn't until recently. Like, um, you know, it's a a software that likes 50,000 different uh, Instagram posts a day that happen to have, you know, one or a, a very small combination of, of hashtags that, you know, Adam wants to target or that are geolocated to these specific locations because he's going to, his next adventure is going to be in that location. And the reason I bring that stuff up is because all of that is very powerful, obviously. But he, he was telling me that the issue is that a lot of these companies like Facebook or Instagram, a lot of the platforms themselves, they are starting to get wise to the fact that people use them this way and are trying to shut those companies down in one way or another because they don't want to change the online experience. But the problem is like that is a necessary 
outcome of this of the way that this is. You know what I mean? This is like that that is how people are going to use this. And the reason that's a problem is that it ruins people's online experience. Like one of the things that has happened to me uh really ever since I moved to Chicago and started posting a lot about doing comedy is I've been getting at least 10, sometimes as many as 15 bot friends, friend requests on Facebook a week. These are like total, and you're familiar with what this is, but for the listener who maybe isn't familiar with what a bot is, uh, this is a totally fake profile run by a program somewhere in a server um, somewhere on the planet who's attempting to friend me for who knows why. They could be a marketer. They could be trying to spam me with stuff. They could be trying to get data on my profile that they can't get without you know, being friends with me. Like Who knows why they're trying to do this? But there's just a proliferation of these things, and it's ruining the online experience. And I think that that, that actual ruining of the experience is what's going to ultimately kill a lot of this kind of stuff. Twitter's the same way. Like I don't want to bowl over because I know I've been talking for a, a little bit here, and I want to hear your thoughts on that. But Twitter is the same way. I get a lot of these friend requests on Twitter from people uh, who, as soon as I, or pardon me, they follow me, and as soon as I follow them back, I get immediately a direct message with an advertisement for whatever stupid digital product they put out that they thought might be relevant to me because of something I said in my, you know, profile description. I mean, this stuff happens all the time, and it's super annoying. Like your ability to actually connect with real people is. I think diminishing pretty rapidly. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a, a fair and good point as well. Uh, you know what I would and I would sort of lump everything you just said into, um, you know, really actually the first word that comes to me is is the word you used bot the bot experience that's been around for a bit and and I've been dealing with that too. I think I've become numb to it because mm. I've always had a really good sense about what's fake and what's real and. Yep. So I, you know, I just delete those things without thinking too much about it. But mm-hmm. that, that is a good point. And I think there's so, there, what's difficult about this conversation is that there are so many reasons why the social media experience is declining. And I just want to mention a number of these things, and we can dive in on whichever one like hits you hardest. But you know, the thoughts that occur to me in no particular order are, you know, everybody has a microphone. Um, yeah, the, the anonymity factor slash there's no repercussions for being a complete asshole. Um, yep. The fact that people become addicted to likes and the impact of the usage of social media on self-esteem. The fact that there are too many selfies and too many self-centered people. We can, you know, I know you can think of people like, I mean, there's a oh number. Oh my gosh, I totally, yeah, there's one, there's one that comes to mind especially. Yeah, like I can think of a couple people when, when I just think of the first thing. I, I mean, think, one of them's my dad's stepbrother. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true at all, actually. No, no, man, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the, and again, you, obviously, politics and the brutality of this election cycle and how it's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's divided so many people so deeply. And, you know, it's oh, a, yeah. the thing is, social media, almost none of that would have happened absent social media, because when would we ever be sitting around with these people having these conversations? We wouldn't. You oh, know, yeah. Yep. And then, and then I think I think the last two things I'll mention, and the, and these are really big ones, are the death of real journalism and the rise yeah. of fake journalism, and then the you know the the muddiness in between those two. I mean, we could talk for an hour on almost every one of those points I just made. Oh yeah, 
I mean, the the especially the rise of the fake journalism uh, has been amazing. Like that, people. There's no fact checking. Nobody has gone through and tried to see whether or not the thing that they're sharing even has any well, how you know, one, correspondence to reality. Yeah, but you know, this is something I've struggled a lot with because I have been one, I have to be honest, that you know, there have been things that I've posted where somebody would quickly say, oh, well, you know, that's total, that's not even a real asshole. And then I'll do, then I'll do a little bit of research and discover that it wasn't real. And then yeah. I, every time that's happened, and it's, it's probably happened three times, I have yep. instantly deleted the post and felt like a dick. But, yep. but, you know, who determines what's fact and what isn't? Because, you know, the, the, the source that's most often quoted as being, you know, well, did you check out Snopes on that? I'm pretty or sure. Or PolitiFact, yeah. Oh, yeah, or PolitiFact. And I'm pretty sure that at least in the case of Snopes, there are, there are a pretty significant percentage of people that don't view that as credible anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's really kind of the issue is that, like, there's a lot of there were these the who's to answer those questions and who's to give credibility to those answers i mean like you know in the past there was some you know there's some i'm thinking like in the rise of you know television and that kind of media there's some process for the stories that are potentially i mean at least in a perfect world the stories that are real and that are relevant are presented that way and there's no sort of fake or dissenting opinion based on evidence that isn't true that's, uh, that's given in order to, to make that confusing to people. You know, I mean, in a perfect world, that's kind of how it would work, is that the real stories are presented in the other side that doesn't have data to back up their claims, um, simply aren't presented. But, you know, the way that it is now is like with the, the sort of egalitarian, you know, almost in a way democratic... Uh, and really, I guess you could you could say democratic version of of how this works. Um, anybody who can can sort of determine what anything whether whether it's true or not, you know, who's to to make that decision. And in a way, like I was just listening to this um uh this episode of the School of Life, which is a a YouTube channel I really like. They talked about why Socrates hated democracy, and that's part of the reason is he was like anybody can participate. Any person who has any idea, how, no matter how stupid and shitty and totally not based in fact it is, can participate. And if they're a really good orator, uh, a really good speaker, they can win over a lot of people. So you have all these fake news stories that are becoming memes because they, you know, they happen to look really good and feel really good to the people who, who um, you know, to look at them. And that's on both sides. I mean, that's not one side. That's not exclusive to only one side of... of of any of the debates that are taking place on social media. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'll add to that, that we've now so clearly entered this era of another point I just made, the other twin point of the death of real journalism. You know, the podcast that we did about that, RIP Journalism, I'm just looking at our Facebook page and, you know, that's that's now reached 459,000 people, which is just... Oh, yeah. Which is just crazy. But it it's had like twenty, almost like t what eighteen k shares or something. Uh, twenty one k. No, twenty one. Yeah, 21. No, no, not shares. Twenty one k likes. Five thousand one hundred thirty seven shares. But shares. The, the point. It, yeah. The point is that's such a hot button with people. And when when it when a culture when a society reaches a place where you can watch a CNN 
or a fox. And you can know, not think, but you can know that what you're watching in that moment is a complete fucking lie. And there's somebody who's just up there who's been paid to take a position or to, you know, to be against something or for something. And you know for a fact that they're not telling the truth. How many times have oh, yeah. you seen that recently? And so when we reach that place in a culture, how, how difficult does it become for Joe Q. Public or Jane Q. Public to discern fact from fiction? And, and where, what responsibility do they have? And how do they carry it out to discern bullshit from truth? Because mm. I struggle with that constantly. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I, I'll scroll through my Facebook, you know, my Facebook feed. And, uh, you know, there's a handful of people that are constantly posting things that are right up my political alley. You know, I agree with all of them. But I oftentimes will read something and they'll be like, well, I can't like that because it's, that's crazy. Even though I, I hope it's correct, it's probably yeah. not. And yeah, yeah. there's so much of that. Um, and, you know, it's just so hard to tell, to separate truth from fiction and to take that back to the, what we're really here talking about. So yep. that's what's, I think, made social media a declining experience for so many of us is because even when we see lots of stuff in our feeds that we actually like, you know, we, we want it to be true. Some stuff is just crazy on its face. You know, it's just, it's just nuts. And there's so much of it on both sides that, man, it just makes it difficult to want to keep coming back to it. And what's really frightening me, and this is really what caused me to want to talk about this today, is that for the first time, and again, I'll trace this back to March 29th, 2009, which is the yeah. day I joined Twitter. I remember Twitter. the date. <laughs> is since that day, there's been a, an upward arc you know, for the most part, in terms of my social media experience. It's just been going up and up and up. And at some point, let's call it a year or two ago, it started to level off. And it's sort of, I've been feeling like it's sort of been like almost a straight line, you know, like, eh, I, this could go either way. And, that, and now for the first time, I'm actually starting to feel it's declining. And that really yeah. frightens me because it's such a big part of my life that I'm starting to think into the future, like, could I actually walk away from this completely? Could I just quit Facebook? And I'm not suggesting that that's my plan. But I've never had those thoughts before. And it scares me because it's like, what would come next? Would I just... Yeah, I don't know. You have to return to, I suppose, you know, traditional... Life? <laughs> traditional life, traditional ways of connecting with people. I mean, I don't... It's weird. I don't really... I don't watch television, really. I don't get my news from TV. I get it from Reddit, mostly, and uh, news sources that, are, that I follow on YouTube or you know, on my news postings. And it's, it's just weird because it truly does. I mean, that's why this fake news story was such a big deal, I think, is because it, you know, there's research groups that are saying, well, this clearly influenced people's voting, even though it was not, what none did? of this was accurate. Oh, the fake news? Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, how did it influence it? Because, and we, you know, I don't want to get off on that tangent because we could talk for a long time about politics. About and, that, yeah, yeah for I don't sure. really want to do that. But, um, but, but I, absolutely, I think that's the big one recently is that that's what's pushed a lot of people away. And that's really what caused me to block 
a bunch of people was I was just the vitriol that was coming from them, vitriol as I judged it, that was coming from them was so severe. And, you know, again, I, I hate to keep bringing this point up, but I, I, I feel like I have to, which is I just look at our, the dynamic within our own family and how, yeah. you know, we just had Thanksgiving where there wasn't even a conversation. There was not even a conversation <laughs> about yeah. a larger family gathering. First time ever. There was yeah. no yep. discussion. I don't even yep. know what most of our own family <laughs> oh, did for Thanksgiving. And I'm pretty sure this will extend through Christmas. And so we're going to go this whole holiday season without even a, a group conversation about what's going on. And that's kind of shocking, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. And I mean, like, this is kind of, it's so weird, too, because uh, I think that, that that is directly a result of all of... It is. The, I mean, think about the, the, the fact that, the, here's, here's what would happen, you know, an American pre, previous... I mean, social media is directly, I mean, again, we don't want to continue to talk about politics. I think we do that a lot, and we'll probably do it again soon on a dedicated episode. But it's amazing to me because, you know, in previous American life, the the political discussions that people would have would take place in the home, maybe at a bar, even though that's one of the taboo topics that you're not supposed to talk about at a bar, maybe in the office with friends, you know, you might go out, you guys might get together, those kinds of things. It's almost exclusively on social media now. It's almost entirely on social media and everybody had their position so heavily dug in uh, way before the holiday even happened that like, you know, in the election cycle, even four years ago, uh, the, it wasn't like this. And I think part of that has to, I mean, it was, it was not good, but when you think back even further back, like back into the nineties, this political discussion would have had to have take, taken place in person and you would be yep. sort of forced to consider other people's perspectives. And a lot of it would be taking in interpersonal data, meaning like how are, what is the tone that these people yep. are responding me to with? Because now everybody is so completely certain of their positions. And I mean, like, that's what's so nuts is like, in, you said this yourself, like you'll post some fake news or whatever, and somebody will go, hey, this is not real. And then you check it out and you're like, oh, it's not real and you get rid of it. But like, there are some of those people who never go through that process, never had anybody check on it, yep. don't have the article in front of them. And then when they meet somebody in person are so completely convinced that they're totally right about this and do not even want to entertain for a moment that they could be they could be wrong. And that is directly uh, because of social media. And I think that that's impacting us, you know, in our, in our environment. I mean, like, they're going to have to figure out a way to, uh, and by they, I mean, the people who own and organize and operate social media platforms are going to have to figure out a way to, I think, turn the emotional temperature of all of that down and or curate it in such a way so that these negative, uh, fake, news um, stories and things like this are accounted for in one way or another. And I don't know how they're going to do it, but I yeah, feel like they're going to have to. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any way to do that. And I think that, I, I actually think that's, I don't agree with what you just said. I think that either you have free speech or you don't. And as we mentioned earlier with respect to Twitter at the top of this podcast, you know, for uh -huh. them to go in and, and artificially manipulate and remove users and tweets is ludicrous. And I think I think, I don't, I'm not suggesting that I have a solution. I don't, but I can see w why it's happened, and you've already articulated most of this, and I'll just add a little bit to it, which is 
Um, it's just so easy when you're not face-to-face with somebody to not use the doctrine of charity, as we've referenced in several uh-huh. previous podcasts, of yep. you know giving people the benefit of the doubt and assuming they mean the most positive thing in, in whatever they say. We don't do that for the most part. And, you know, I think back to this one specific conversation that you were part of. It was on your post where, you know, where there was a fairly, <laughs> there was a, fa- a fairly, um, you know, aggressive exchange that took place among various members of our family. And, oh, yeah. And it felt to me as one who was in the middle of it, like I was throwing punches and I was being punched. It's what it really yeah. felt like. And, and, uh, I take, as I said this in a previous podcast, I take most of the responsibility for escalating that. But sometimes I see perspectives that come from people that I know and love that so shock me that yeah. I can't believe it. And I, and I, I can't control myself. And I just want to say, are you fucking kidding me? You really yeah. think that? I know you. You're not that crazy. How can you be saying that? And, and I know how ridiculous that must sound. And I'm sure if they were listening to this, which they probably won't, but if they were, they'd be like, <laughs> God, you're an asshole. But, you know. Well, I mean, think about it like this. Like what you've just expressed is not a totally, I think, uncommon, like, sentiment, I think, from a lot of people. And part of it, I think, also is that it you know, if you went to, if there was a, let's imagine we lived in a, even a big city. Okay. But that big city had only like three bars. Okay. And those bars were called Facebook, Twitter, and, you know, Snapchat or something. I don't, I don't know what the third one would be, but so two bars, whatever, Facebook and Twitter. And, and you decided, Hey, I'm going to go see my friends. The only place we ever go to see them is this, you know, because we all live on opposite sides of this town, is in one of these two bars. You go to the one bar and you see them saying or engaging in things that are totally not how you ever think about them or imagine them. Your response would be this similar kind of shock. You know, you're, oh my God, I didn't know that they were that kind of, they didn't, I didn't know they were that kind of person. And that kind of almost even betrays the feelings I had about them, not because I didn't care about them, but because I did care about them. And I'm surprised that they're doing these things or saying these things. And you felt like, I mean, the only difference between that analogy and the actual Facebook is that, you know, real Facebook is even more intimate because it's your computer. It's in your room. It's in your bed. If you're on your bed, on your phone, it's, it's right there. It's very intimate. And you're seeing things from people who you know and care about who are kind of shocking. And you know, honestly, I mean, if those bars existed, if that was this way the situation was in real life, there's only a number of those, especially like you said, you were getting punched. Like, you'd only go to that bar a couple of times and get in a couple of fights before you were like, you know what? Fuck this place. I'm not coming back. Like, I don't care if, there's, if these are the only two games in town. I'm not going to go to either of them, you know? And then in addition to not only fighting and watching people who you care and love do shocking things, you're also getting people walking up to you trying to sell you things and market you stuff and ask for your information and like all that shit. You know, <laughs> that's like actually not a bad analogy, I think. No, I think it's a really good analogy. And, and I think, you know, this touches on so many other, so many other things we've covered in this podcast, like the whole, um, uh, you know, the podcast we did about the what's happening on America's college campuses and, oh, yeah. you know, it's like there's this whole way of thinking 
And I know how ridiculous this must also sound because now I'm sounding like, you know, like old people sounded when I was a kid. But there's just a way of looking at the world that is so foreign to me and so crazy to me and so literally insane to me. This whole safe spaces concept, this whole, you said it at the top of the podcast and I was going to interrupt you, but I just didn't want to interrupt you. But you yeah. said, I, you said something like, we want to make Twitter safe for women. Like when you said oh, yeah. that, I wanted to scream like, dude, please tell me you didn't just say that because I'm not blaming you personally. You're simply. No, that's what they say though. I, I mean, know, like, that's I know, why. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, and I'm getting to that, which is you're just using the appropriate vernacular. I understand yeah. that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you necessarily think like this yourself. But yeah. the fact that it's gotten to that point where in your head, the only way you can articulate what you said was to say it exactly the way that you said it yeah. speaks to just how crazy this world has become. That uh, this language, this safe space language, it's like, it, it makes me physically violent. It's like, wait a minute, do you understand, person who's listening to this, that we live in a democracy where free speech is a thing? Where oh, yeah. I can say, I can say, I think all blanks are assholes. I can say something that's totally bigoted and racist. If I want to, and that's legal, I can't discriminate against people. That's a different thing. But I can hold opinions that you might find reprehensible, and that's legal. You understand yeah, no, that. I mean, you understand that, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I understand right. that. Right. I'm asking you. So, so my point is, that has been so lost in our culture. And again, I want to be really clear. I'm not in any way advocating for bigotry or discrimination of any kind. That's not my point. My point is free speech. My point is, what the fuck is a safe space? I mean, what is yeah. a fucking safe space? I'm really asking you, what is a safe space? Do people, how does, it, how does it eliminate the reality that whatever they're going into the safe space to get away from still exists? Yeah, I don't know. You really don't know? No, I mean, I, can, I, could, I couldn't tell you what a great definition of a safe space is. I'm really asking you because I think, I, you know, I, I want to be clear that when I think of you personally, I think of a person who has their one foot in what I think of as my world and the yeah. other foot in what I think of as the world that I'm now talking about. I think you straddle that pretty well. I yeah, think I, you, I would agree with you. And, and that's one of the reasons why I like doing this show with you. Because I think, unlike me, who has no foot anywhere near that other world, I'm, yeah. I'm sort of learning from you and I'm experiencing it vicariously through you by having conversations like this. So I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm a little perplexed when you can't answer a question like that. And I, I mean that just, you know, factual, well, I not think, emotional. So what I think, what I think that, what I, here's, without looking up a definition, which I just did, and I haven't read it yet, um, but without looking up a definition for it, I would say that a safe space is a place where all the people in it feel, inclu feel included or can feel included and are not, and more importantly, are not excluded, meaning that there, there's nothing that anyone is saying or doing to make 
others feel excluded from whatever's happening or less than respected. And I hear that definition and I'm all but laughing out loud because it's like, yeah, are we fucking babies? Are we, are we, are we like two years old? Because that kind of thinking I would associate with either a two year old or nothing or, or an 18 month old. It's like what uh, it's the whole concept is so it's just, it's, it's literally crazy to me. It's fucking crazy to me. Is it crazy to you? Yeah, it is crazy All to right. me. So, so I, I, this is one of these places where uh, if you are listening to this and you think I'm, I'm towing the liberal line most of the time, this is one of those places where I'm absolutely not doing that. Because I really, really genuinely do not agree with any of the, really any of what's taken place in this uh with the safe spaces stuff i think it's ridiculous i think it similar for similar reasons i mean i think that and, and and really like the language that twitter has used to 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 defend what they've been doing especially what they did to milo has all been yeah we're trying to make the you know we're trying to make the twitter community safe for for women and i think that there's so much of this that can so much bad and wrong that can be done that not only is bad and wrong because I think it prevents good things from happening, but also so much bad and wrong that can be done in the name of trying to keep that stuff and trying to do that. And it was, so that was the revelation, by the way. And again, not to start spinning this off into our further discussions about continuing, you know, continuing discussions about PC culture and things like that. But I think that was the big revelation for me that made me go, oh, I, can, I, I actually kind of understand why uh, so many conservatives are so terrified of, this, of PC culture. That, you know, there's a lot of people who are on the left who think to themselves, um, oh, well, I just, I don't get it. Like, why not just, what's the big deal about using these words or that words? Like, if, especially if somebody's hurt by them and you're using them, why not change your language? And the idea is this, it's not really about, you know, using the pronoun or not. I don't really think that that's, most people who disagree with it aren't thinking, no, I'm not going to use your pronouns because I hate you. They're thinking things like, look, you can, that argument alone where you're saying, look, just use these certain words or just, just include people in the safe spaces. What's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is that there's a lot that can be done. So maybe the next thing is in order to make the world safe for women, we actually have to start making them wear burkas and we have to start making them cover up. We have to actually remove Twitter and make it completely gender blind, meaning that there's one Twitter for men and one Twitter for women because women, we have to make the world safe for women. Like that's actually, you could, I could make concerted arguments for those things because under that premise, do you know what I mean? I mean, this is exactly why like people like students at Mizzou wanted a, um, an all black student safe space. They were like, no, 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 we don't want an inclusive locker room. We want an all black students locker room because, uh, and I don't have this article in front of me, so I could be getting these facts wrong. It might not be Mizzou and it might not be a locker room, but the point stands. They wanted an all-black student safe space because they said, this is what we want. Well, you know who would be fine with that? The KKK. They would be super fine with that because that's, <laughs> that's right. exactly... I mean, what was, the point of ple- what was the point of Brown versus Board of Education if... if you know what I mean? That was exactly the reason that that, that went through. Like, it's, it's nuts. Like, the fact that you're, we're legislating around people's feelings and emotions is is ridiculous. Like, uh, and, and that's essentially what, you know, what, what is going on here is that there's a lot of people who now want same thing. I want a space in Facebook that's safe from me, uh, you know, getting posted about articles 
from about Trump or about Clinton or about whatever or attacking a climate change or any of that shit. Like, look, it's a fucking... This is the part, you know, the problem is that this is the way the world is. And you, you, you know, you got to figure out a way to engage with it. And trying to back away from it isn't a really good solution. Like, there has to be some other functional way. And, and, and you know, this is why I think it's that this, this social media stuff is dying, is that there is no functional way. That, you know, what, what maybe is increasingly going to happen is that people are just going to unplug from it, with the exception of signing on only to message their friends who exist in you know, other places in the world. I mean, that's pretty much, that's mostly why I keep on it, you know, and then trying to promote my comedy shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I, I don't mean to, for us to rehash all the stuff we talked about in our, our podcast, which was our, our episode four, which is called College Campuses Gone Wild. But there's some, uh, there's some really good videos that are embedded on that page. Yeah. Uh, specifically the one about Yale University students. That one's, yeah. like, to me, that's the best video that I've seen that encapsulates all the stuff we're talking about right now in terms of, you know, college campuses just out of control and what students are thinking these days. Um, yep. But to bring it really back to what we're here to talk about today in terms of social media, I almost think that we're heading toward a Brexit experience in social media. And Literally, this thought just occurred to me just now, honestly, in the moment. But I, I really feel like that's what I'm sensing in my, in my gut is where this is going. I mean, first there was Brexit. Then there was the Trump, Trump winning, which many people are, you know, are likening very much to Brexit. I think, oh, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's a very direct. Why is that funny? I just, it's a reason it's funny is because it's so, you know, I mean, being a member of the stand-up community in Chicago, you can imagine how most of the people I engage with in the community feel about Trump's election. Right. And they're freaking out because a lot of them are like, it is the end of the world. Like, it's literally, like, the world is ending. Yeah. Like, they really, they really seriously feel like this is all over now. And everything is gonna, everything wrong that could happen is gonna happen. And yet, and, like, if you, oh, I and, mean, yet, and yet, my guess is if you were to ask them to be specific about what's going to happen, they couldn't answer. Well, I mean, what they would say, we, this is just going to derail the conversation, so I won't go into it. All right, but yeah, let's it's just, just nuts forget to me I said that. My, my, the joke that I had about it was I said, you guys have no, you guys have no idea how crazy this is going to be for my family this holiday season. I said that on, on stage, and I was like, because half of my family is like, the world is about to end, and the other half is like, we just saved the world. Right. Well, which is which is how people really feel. I know. Uh, but but to continue what I was just saying, the Brexit thing. So mm -hmm. there's Brexit. Then there's Trump winning, which, again, many people are likening to a second Brexit like experience, which I think it was. And I, I think maybe, you know, uh, th there won't be any event that you can point to, I don't think. But I think a lot of people are sort of taking a step back from social media in a similar fashion, because it's like, you know what, this is just, uh, it's just like with people voting against what we've had for the past eight years politically, there's so much of that online as well, uh, for those who are on my side of the aisle, that I just kind of want to get away from it. And my guess is the people on the other side feel the same way, that, you know, yeah. all these people who supported Trump are fucking Neanderthal idiot, you know, I'm so sick of the words misogynism. Or misogyny and sexism. I'm so sick, you know, racism and all this things that aren't even remotely true. But you know, insert the appropriate terms here. Yep. On both sides, that I think it's sort of like half 
whichever half you want is sick of the other half. <laughs> Pick one. Yep. Yeah. And it's, that's I just want to get true. the fuck away from you people. I think that's sort of <laughs> where we are. Everybody wants to get yeah. the fuck away from you people. <laughs> I'm like, I've just, yeah, I think that's exactly it. I just want to sign off so I get in a moment of peace and fucking quiet. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, and maybe, maybe, you know, like the old saying goes, this too shall pass. Maybe we'll wake up in six months or three months or a year, and this political cycle will be in our rearview mirror, and uh, and people can sort of return to normalcy because I think that is going to happen. I mean, think I think people will realize the world isn't going to end, and they may actually see America get better. Is what I yeah. really sincerely believe is going to happen. Um, uh, and maybe we'll get back to being civil with one another and not talking about so many you know, polarizing topics. Um, but we, but we're still left with a bunch of other issues. You know, the ones we've already talked about in terms of, you know, the other, the other non-political cycle factors, the death of real journalism, the rise of fake journalism, the fact that everybody has a megaphone and a, a microphone, all those factors remain. I don't know. This will obviously all sort itself out in the long run. And I don't really I, I don't have really any predictions either. I think it's you. too soon to really have any sense of how everything's going to turn out, to be completely honest. Like, and I think in one way or the other, that's why, like, yeah. I mean, I told you before, there's things that about Trump that scare, scare the shit out of me. Like, I think that, you know, there's, there's stuff about him that, that he says or does that are scary. I think Mike Pence is frightening to me for a number of reasons. Um, but it's like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen. And I think that, yeah, I don't mean oh, politically. social media I mean, wise. Pardon social me. media wise. Uh, yeah, my prediction for social media is is maybe fortunately or unfortunately a lot. I have a lot more clarity around it. I think that's exact. What's going to happen is probably into 2017, we're going to see a lot of releases or updates to social media that are going to attempt to get rid of these like, oh, it's fake news, or it's we're going to try to make it more safe for people on there. And I think that it's going to totally backfire. I think it's not people are going to hate it. They're not going to like it. I think that they're actually going to save the the entire base from jumping out the window entirely, but it's not going to be fun. And a lot of people, including maybe me, are going to end up abandoning it. And probably what will happen is a new platform will end up taking over that space uh, online and we'll get maybe a new bar in town or something like that. And that, I don't know what that one would look like, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Interesting. Um, you know, I was, uh, one of the things I found, uh, in the minutes before we started talking here, um, uh, which is called a website I never heard before called lifewire.com. And it's the top 25 social networking sites people are using. I have no idea what their method of selection was. But my point here is that, you know, top I didn't even know there were 25. (laughs) I mean, you know, well, I'm going to rifle through them real fast in in the order that they appear here. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, Tumblr, Vine, which we know is now dead, Snapchat, Reddit, Flickr, Swarm by Foursquare, Kick, Yik Yak, Shots, Periscope, Medium, SoundCloud, Tinder, WhatsApp, Slack, Musical.ly, Musical. Peach, Bl- and Blab. I've never even heard of like probably 40% of those. And so it's like, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. You know, it's for someone who's invested so much of their life into this as I have, 
I'm amazed at how perplexed I am sitting here having this <laughs> well, conversation. Man, I, it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets better. That's that's the the real problem. <laughs> yeah, probably so. And I I think we probably covered most of what we came here to cover, which is you know just sort of a um, you know a free range chicken <laughs> sort of conversation of just running about the landscape with our heads about to be cut off. Um, but yeah, uh, I would, I'd like to say uh, a couple things. I think the first is it would be very interesting to hear your thoughts on this. So please comment, you know, share this if you agree or not on social media. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? And uh, I, please uh, keep your eyes peeled. I actually am going to release my online special in a little while, uh, which is filled with all kinds of things like this. If you enjoy topics that we talk about, uh, then you should check it out. And if you don't like topics that we talk about, then you should, you should definitely check it out because I also don't talk about these things. <laughs> and my parting shot will be, don't you hate when people do shameless plugs <laughs> like the one you just gave? <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unk We greatly appreciate your support and we look forward to seeing you uh, or, or not seeing you on our next podcast. Until then, have a great day. We'll see you soon. Take it easy.